BSB OT, not just some number. Game one and game two of the Eastern Conference Finals of New, New Jersey Devils versus New York Rangers in 1994. Over the next eight weeks, we'll be doing pretty much a cover of the 94 series. I know the Rangers have been kind of tweeting it out every day, every day this week, being like, it's 26th year anniversary. We're going to talk about it all week, which is free content for them, and I appreciate it. And we've jumped on the, tr- the bandwagon. Now, Gregory, you and I have never done the um, quote-unquote proper deep dive into, into re-watching these series. Uh, and I guess I'll just start off by saying, you know, we watched both games. We're going we're gonna to just review, you know, what happened in the games, takeaways we had from the games, and, and, and things we came away with. What was so most shocking to you about actually watching the game? Because I have a few thoughts. Um, I, there, are, there are a couple aesthetic things that yes. cracked me up a little bit. Uh, I don't. I don't understand why MSG was promoting SeaWorld back in 1994. Uh, that's the Sea. I, I, have, I have no idea. There's a lot of nobody beats the Wiz, which I love. Uh-huh. I miss that store. That place was great. Um, it, a lot of golf. The golf. The, the golf symbol is eternal. It's it's like seared yeah. in my brain. Uh, I didn't realize. I understand that 1994 was 26 years ago, mm-hmm. but it's crazy to think that ESPN hadn't figured out Fonts. how to have the game, uh, the score box on the screen at okay. all times, I, or even the clock. I have to tell you this because this was a giant point of contention for me. I uh, I found it much d- more difficult to watch hockey without the clock, and I don't know why. Like it's well, it's stressed me out. That I didn't know, because like, I, I couldn't make amends of what the situation was. Like, it was harder for me to, to paint a picture in my head, like, oh, how much time is left? I have no idea. Yeah, it it's difficult. And they just, they pop it up at random times. I know. Like, there was, we're, I know we're not getting into the deep dive of the game yet, but in game one, the Rangers led up at least two just golden scoring opportunities right off the, right off the, uh, I have that face off. I have that in my notes. Yeah. And I immediately thought to myself, like, did the game skip ahead? There's no way this happened within 30 seconds, but I had no way of knowing because there's no God, there's no goddamn clock. <laughs> I had no idea. It and, was so frustrating. And you could make the case to me be like, okay, listen, it was the regular season. The, uh, the ESPN and other places didn't want to put, spend the money for the graphics, but this is the postseason. Like, I, I don't understand how we just don't have the score and the time. Like, I, the, the worst part the worst part of it is, obviously, you get later in the game one. Game two, it's not as noticeable because the Rangers led throughout the entire way. But it's game it, yeah. one, two minutes left. The Rangers are nursing a one-goal lead, and I just have no idea how much time is left. I have no clue. Have no, no clue whatsoever. When, when Lemieux... When Lemieux puts it in to tie the game, they're like, and with only 40 seconds left. I was like, oh, okay. That's how much time was left. Thank you for telling me now. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, Some other notes I had about the watching experience and things at least I thought were strange. The center ice logo, like, was it there? I don't know why I expected it to be there, but it's just like the smaller logo, the Rangers logo on each side of the center ice. I thought it would still be the big shield. I thought that was like kind of always a thing. I guess I was wrong. Um, they also play the same fucking songs. <laughs> like, I don't yeah, think they really do. That, that cracked me up too. Cause I was thinking, <laughs> like, I just, what was a sporting event like before uh rock and roll anthem part two came out? Because Lord knows they must not have played any music at all. And we just didn't update upgraded since then. Like, of course now you'll hear, you know, what turn down for what is yeah, something you hear sure. Harlem shake here and there, yeah. but for the most part, same damn music, same, start same stuff, same everybody clap your hands. Like, like what is everybody? It's the same stuff. They have the same MP3s that they were using. There weren't even MP3s back then. They were like, uh, as a tra- a tracks, um, tape. yeah, cassette tape. All right. Uh, and, uh, some of the things I noticed, uh, at least I guess we'll just start getting into the game and we'll start going from there. Um, so game one happens. Leading up to this, the Rangers had played the Devils six times in the regular season. And they beat them every single time. Um, so the Rangers had also, in the past two previous series, swept the Islanders and beat the Capitals handedly. This brings us to the Devils series in game one. Uh, to go to the Stanley Cup Finals, as you all know. Now, this team also won the President's Cup trophy, uh, President's Cup trophy this year and was uh, firing on all cylinders. I remember one time Adam Graves said 
Uh, they they had one of the best power plays in the league, if not the best, and they didn't practice once all year. Like the team, there was just something special about it. Like Adam Graves never scored above 40 goals again, I believe. I think I had it open a second ago, but he scored 52 this year. Like the whole team was clicking. And going into this, when you first start watching it, um, and I will say hockey does suffer without HD. It's not as bad as I thought it would be, but it does suffer without the HD uh, version of it. I don't think it would have been as bad if I, the DVDs that I'm watching on, you have the black bars on the side. Mm-hmm. I don't think it would be nearly as bad if those black bars – like it wouldn't feel as bad if, if those black bars didn't exist. I'm watching uh, on a stream uh, currently. I'm still looking for Game 6 if anyone has it, along with Games 3 and 4 of Vancouver. So hit me up at O'Reilly and me and let me know if there's a place I can purchase or you can point me in the right direction. You know what I'm talking about? Um but the it, best part is I have those games, and I just don't know how to share them I, with I, you. I know. <laughs> um, it's all right. We'll make do. We'll figure it out. I have the audio of, of, of the guarantee game, that's, I, but that's a little different. But you go right into the game, and MSG, and before the remodel, I got to say, it does look like MSG is like a little more empty than I thought it would be, even though the place is absolutely bumping. Like right away, it's like the loudest I've heard MSG, at least on a broadcast, in a very long time. Like, just, you can hear the crowd is so into it. And immediately, that continues because the Rangers score. Zubov scores right away. Um, three minutes and 39 seconds into the game. It's mostly done by Mark Messier setting it up for Zubov. Uh, and Mark Messier, I, I think it's time to, I, I know we're going to have a lot of time to talk about Mark Messier, especially when it comes to game six. And I know we appreciate Mark Messier and Brian Leach a lot, but you really don't understand how good they are until you watch them again. Mark Messier is everywhere. He is inevitable. I can't believe how actually astounding he is at hockey when you watch him play. And he's 33 in this season. So it's... Yeah, Messier wasn't... He, like, Messier didn't... His performance in this game doesn't surprise me. There are some... He just gets bloodthirsty in overtime. I don't know if it's because he's fucking tired or if he realizes that the referees aren't calling anything anymore. But there were two plays in overtime that we'll get to later where... One of them, I thought Messier was literally going to murder Scott Stevens with his stick. Yep. Like, he, he Evgeny Malkin swung his stick at someone's head. And the refs were like, this is fine. Don't worry about it. We're good. But that brings me to, um, my, to my next point. It's like, the refs... Well, no, I, hold on. I had a point oh, here. Sorry. sorry. Uh, Brian Leach is the guy who stands out as, like, we've... I know we hold him in high esteem and we say outside of Henrik Lundqvist, he's probably the greatest Ranger of all time. I still feel like we don't talk about him enough because he is just everywhere. And he plays a style of hockey that was transformative back in 1994. And how many times do we talk about if you drop a guy like Eric Carlson back in the 1994, how many like Norris trophies and points would he have? I don't think we need to do that anymore because Brian Leach exists. So you would just say he'd have about five points less than what Brian Leach has. That dude, if he played today would be a top five defenseman. Like his exact, he wouldn't have to change anything about his style. His style is better suited for today's game than it was in 94. But because his style was so ahead of the time in 1994, there's just no matching him. If you, I think if you take Brian Leach off that 94 Ranger team, they don't sniff the Stanley Cup. But if you take Mark Messier off, I think they still have a chance because of Brian Leach. If Mark, they're, them together is really like you see the power. Like, it's, it's a... It's just inevitable. Like, those guys together just make plays happen. And they make everyone else around them so much better. And another player that I thought was really underrated, even just watching these first two games, was Larmer. I was like, whoa, this guy's pretty fucking good. Like, I don't know why we don't talk about him more. But back to Brian Leach just for a second, because I don't want to get to Larmer, because we'll, we'll get to him and some other underrated players, including Zubov. Like, I know our friend Drew Way, like, talks about Zubov all the time. But Zubov's a monster. Like, an absolute monster. <laughs> In these two games, and it's just incredible. But Brian Leach, like, we've we've had the conversation before on this podcast where it's like, I think we went one time deep into, like, why Brian Leach isn't talked about more as a New York Ranger or, like, isn't put out in the public more. Because he works for MSG now. Like, you hear from him. But you can't really – I can't personally picture what Brian Leach sounds like right now, even though I, I hear from him all the time on MSG. Like, he is a very vanilla, plain guy. But as a hockey player – He's transcendent in so many ways. There's a play in game two where I believe he like breaks towards the net, like jumps over a stick and hits. It's, I believe it's Zubov. I'll check it right now. But, uh, oh no, it's it's Graves. Yeah, he hits Graves like to, for the, the game winning goal, I guess, when they're up 4 nothing. you know, at this point. They're about to go up 4 nothing. Like he just 
makes it happen, jumps over a stick, Duke's, uh, Deke's a defender, and it, like he's a defenseman, and he's going in there and making this happen. He just is a whole nother layer of player uh, that we haven't seen really uh, since in a, in a Rangers uniform. No, not not as transformative. I, I don't honestly think it's possible to see. I don't know what a defenseman would have to look like today for, for him to be as transformative as Brian Leach was. Like, defenders today exist because Brian Leach. I 110% believe that. I don't think you get the Eric Carlson's of the world or right. even the Victor Hedman. Hedman's a different breed, but it's just that type of defenseman didn't exist until I think until Brian Leach came into the picture. I'm sure some Oiler fan or Sabres fan or whatever would be like, oh, what about Paul Coffey? I'd be like, I don't give a shit about Paul Coffey because I've been watching <laughs> Brian Leach. It's, it, it really is just ridiculous how different his game was. And to, a, to an extent, same goes for Zubov, where Zubov is clearly doing something different that head coaches hadn't seen before. And I think it – I don't know if upset them is the right term, but it, like, it, it, it took them out of their element a little bit. Like, again – and Zubov became a Hall of Fame caliber defenseman in his own Actual time. Hall but of Famer, he's so yeah. Right. He's a, he's another guy that if you transport him to today's game, his not only does his style and play translate, it thrives in today's NHL. And he's not I I got angry uh watching the games because Zubov was making such a big impact. He scores the first goal in game one mm-hmm. and he's all over the ice. Keenan's using him nonstop in games one and two. First of all, okay. Um, yeah, we did, talk about, we did talk about this. <laughs> well, they don't, so they don't make time on ice available for some reason in 1994. The only reason we know Brian Leach played 47 minutes is because in double overtime, the announcers are like, Jesus Christ, Brian Leach has played 47 minutes in this game. Game two, they mentioned it too. They're like, he played half of the 90 minutes of game two. Yeah, and Leach, and Leach, Leach is just saying, like, yeah, no, I'm good. Don't worry about it. I'm he fine. actually said like, he played the, he played poorly in game one and was and missed, somehow missed a pep in his step, but wasn't going to let that happen again in game two. I was like, what? You played poorly? Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to how the Rangers come out in game two. They, they came out of the gates poorly in game one. They, they came out of the gates like I would expect the 2019-2020 Rangers to come out of the gates. I know they scored first, but Bill Guerin had, like, two golden opportunities to score in the first 30 seconds and Richter not just that just shut him down I mean Kovalov who we haven't mentioned yet uh who's an incredible young player at this time like has a breakaway where he's alone with Brodeur and he just puts it off the post like Kreider like put it off he put it off the post twice because he also yes. put it off the post in overtime and I was uh, I, I, you know I knew this game ended in double overtime and just watching Kovalov putting up the post there is like oh wow they he doesn't know yet but that sucks like that is uh, a full, miserable moment full- Full disclosure: I went into the game. I just assumed the Rangers won Game One. Uh-huh. I didn't. I didn't look at the box score. I didn't look at anything. I knew it went to two OTs, but in my in my mind, I was just like, "Oh yeah, they won Game One and lost Game two. So I'm watching this game in double overtime, and as Kovalev puts it off the post, I'm just sitting there like, "Huh? So when are the Rangers <laughs> going to score this game-winning goal?" And then and then they don't, and I'm like, "Wait, what the fuck happened? Okay, Did I put the wrong game in. Is this a different game? I think it's time uh, to talk but, about what that would be like for us, because I can't, Gregory. I know you've you've suffered some interesting, not interesting. I'll just say heart-wrenching Mets breakdowns in in, in your in the time of being a Mets fan. Uh, yeah, the the entire 2015 World Series, 2016 yeah. Wild Card Playoff Game, yep. 2006, yep. 2007, didn't have name all, but yeah, 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 yeah. They're all they're all there. Uh, <laughs> I think the worst part of this game, so we should, uh, if, if you don't already know, the Rangers lost 4-3 in two OTs. Mm-hmm. The absolute worst part of this game that I think if we were our age right now watching this game in 1994 would have oh. put us in the hospital. I would have. Uh, the Rangers blow line. three different one-goal leads, right? Yes. They're up one nothing after the Zubov goal. Yep. They're up 2-1 to one after Nemchinov scored in the second. Yep. And, yeah. Uh, we're, were diehard jokes just not a thing? Like, were Ranger fans making diehard jokes <laughs> at John McLean's defense? I, I hope they were. It's McLean. I hope they were, too. Yeah, McLean. Is what no, but call. it's pronounced McLean. All right. Well, I, so Like, it's pre- it's pronounced like him. Like John McLean. That's so from funny. Die Hard. Yeah, all uh, right. But Nebchinov puts him up two, two to one. Yep. They give that up to Garen. And then Larmer puts him up on the power play. And then the Rangers blow it with less than a minute left in the third. I know. It's and then they give up the goal so in second overtime. Rangers. And Claude Lemieux is an asshole. 
He is the worst. <laughs> I was like, is uh, is that so? I, I tweeted about this, and yes. I was gonna get your take on it. Uh-huh. It's one of the most fun things that you're having with this rewatch that you're forming opinions of players 26 years after the fact. And and like, I I hate that like I hate him now, and his son plays for the team I cover. <laughs> Claude like, Lemieux's not even in my top two though. I don't know what the fuck it is about Bernie Nichols that I just can't fucking stand. And Stefan, if I. If Stefan Riche does one more thing, I it, it was funny because again, I go into game one expecting the Rangers to win. Right. So when Riche completely whiffs in over in the first overtime, that would have ended the game for the Devils. Yep. I was sitting there texting my buddy who was at the game back in 1994. And I go, bro, this Stefan Riche guy fucking blows. And he texts <laughs> me back and he's like, Are you saying that because of what happens at the end of the game? I'm like, I'm watching the end of the game. He just missed. He's like, yeah, keep watching, idiot. And then <laughs> Riche puts it in in double overtime, and I go, oh, 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 I hate this guy. Yeah, he's awful. There is a lot of these devils where, like, I know they they end up winning the lockout season the next year, and Brodor is like a big part of it. And Brodor is is great in this series, and so is Richter. Like, they're the goaltending is better than I expected it to be. Were you surprised for that too? Because I was like, I thought you know I knew goaltending hasn't come that much of a way, but. I know, I know the pads have gotten bigger and goaltenders have gotten more technical, but the goaltending here was good. Like both these teams were sound, at least in the net. I was, I'm not surprised. I, I mean, Richter and Brodor are all time goalies. I, I know Brodor is, we, we like to shit on him on this podcast, but yeah, it's called spade to spade. The dude's a Hall of Fame goaltender. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not surprised that the goaltending was as good. I'm surprised the chances the players are getting are more higher quality than I expected. It like, felt more fast paced. Like I was ready to like crap on this. Like I was ready to be like, Oh, well old school hockey, you know, like, uh, this is just, it's, there's not a lot of organization and plans, but like, no, it was fun. Like they were getting in there. And yeah. I, there, there are a couple, there are a couple instances where I'm like, I don't think a player today misses those opportunities. There were two specifically in overtime. One Adam Graves, just for whatever reason, had an open goal and decided to pass it into Martin Broder's, prone body mm-hmm. like I, I don't understand the physics of how graves didn't want to put it in the net and then there was there was actually an opportunity another opportunity for riche where it looks like it looked like lemieux put it off the post it stops right on the goal line and then for some reason riche clears it out of the crease for the rangers and i <laughs> i was having a lot of fun at stefan riche's expense until he scored the game winner and then i guess jokes on me yeah uh, but we'll have to we'll just have to keep watching how the series goes i have a feeling the late rangers get the last lap yeah anyway um yeah it's the the opportunities are a little sloppy but the the opportunities that do happen that richter and Brodeur have to make plays on are much better than i thought they would be i didn't think they'd be nearly as 2019 2020 in style as they turned out to be and uh speaking of the style the refs don't call anything like i I have uh, yes i have the uh the penalty summary in front of me from hockey reference because as i'm like that's the so the odd thing that i noticed during the game and i wonder if you noticed it too Uh they would make calls but only if they could make offsetting calls yes only if you could offset it was weird so exactly so in 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 overtime one uh, they call they call offsetting calls on uh, on Noonan and 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 uh, I, you just said his name, uh, Riche. Steph, Steph, Riche. I don't I don't know why I always I always go ER even though it's Riche. Yeah, because you're American. Yes. Okay. You Riche. know it's you know Messier is ER too though. Yes, I know, but my brain, you know how it works. Um, it does it doesn't is the answer. Um, but then so the the offset in the first period, the offset in the second period, OT, and and then there's like oh, two power plays in the second and, and third, really, pretty much. And the, Craig McTavish, we got to talk about this. We got to <laughs> well, talk about so this. What's, what's more, what was more uncomfortable for you to watch the game? The fact that Craig McTavish is skating around without a helmet? Yeah. Or the fact that there's no protective netting behind the goals? Okay, I think it's McTavish because I have to be perfectly honest with you. I forgot. I forgot <coughs> that he, he doesn't wear a helmet. So I literally had to Google when I started watching. Because I saw McTavish get out there. I was like, oh, huh. McTavish lost his helmet and he's still skating. That's weird. I'm just saying, why didn't they stop play? <laughs> then I saw him again and I was like, oh, this is on purpose. Uh, immediately Googled and I was like, oh yeah, I totally forgot about this. How how could I forget? And 
it's really uncomfortable for me watching him like skate towards the boards and like there's a guy running at him and he doesn't have a helmet on. I'm like, what do you do, my man? Put the helmet on. Not a big deal. Everyone's it's, it's not like these helmets back in 1994 were anything more than just like plastic and some padding. So I'm sure the difference between not wearing a helmet and wearing a helmet minimal at best. Yeah. Still just uncomfortable to watch him play without a helmet. So it, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It just it literally made me cringe every time. He last the player in the NHL to uh, play without a helmet and did it for a very long time. <laughs> I, I, it's just so uncomfortable to watch. I, I don't understand the. I don't know what the benefit was. I, I have no idea. So they call nothing in the first period. They call like very little in the second and third, and then call only call offsetting in the in the first and second uh, overtime. So the teams are beating the hell out of each other. There's actually a hit in I think it's the first or second. I can't remember. It's one of the first two games where a ranger takes out a, a devil's player legs and flips him over his entire. Oh, yeah, body. that was it's it's it, Kevin Lowe takes out um, Zella Pukin. I think is his name. Yeah, I was in like, game two. what the hell? That's like an ejection. <laughs> what we... I mean, to be fair, though, it was a clean hit. It like... was, but it was, you know, it was brutal. Like, you don't see stuff like that, like, anymore, really, in the last five I, years. I, was, I, I, went in, I went into game one knowing that, first of all, it's playoff hockey, so refs mm-hmm. aren't going to make calls. But I was expecting the missed calls to be more egregious. And quite honestly, the first period is pretty clean. Like, the reason why there wasn't a penalty called the, is I don't think the, there was. The commenters even a, say, like, hey, this has been for a rivalry, like, pretty mild. Yeah, that and changes. then they, they start they start calling penalties in the second that aren't just offsetting. So the the only penalties in my mind, game I think game two was more egregious in terms of no penalties called than game one. But until we got to overtime, Messier was literally trying to murder people. Like, it, it, was, <laughs> it was indefensible, some of the things Mark Messier was doing. At the time, I'm sure I would have been like, eh, you know, it's playoff hockey. Things get away. But in the era of 2019-2020 where we're just, I guess, more hypercritical of this stuff, Messier is just literally tomahawk chopping, chopping people with a stick. Oh, absolutely. And I'm just, like, I'm just sitting like there like – Like an Alex Ovechkin kind of way versus Dan Girardi. Like the same way. Just hitting it, him. Yeah. He literally like wound up and swung a baseball bat at Scott <laughs> Stevens. And the thing is like – the most unsettling part of it is Scott Stevens was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like Stevens wasn't phased by it. it I'm just sitting there just like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Will someone call a penalty? And then at one point, at one point in the game, actually, I think it was, uh, I don't know if it was game one or game two, but one of the announcers goes, yeah, unless you commit homicide, you're not getting a penalty called on you. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, no, seriously. If you, if, this is like some serious NYPD getting away with whatever they fucking want shit right now. It, it was, was unbelievable. Crazy, man. Like just the whole thing. I mean, they're just they're, they some of the hits, some of the the stick swings, like some of the dude, some of the trips were insane. Like where like especially well, there, in game there was, 2. Well, there was one play, there was one play where I don't know I don't know what the legal term is, but mm-hmm. uh, it looked like Adam Graves got molested by a stick yes. behind the goal, yeah. and they didn't call anything. Oh, the the first Messier penalty, though, is the the Rangers' offensive zone breaks down, and Messier's just gassed. And the Devils are about to have a two-on-none breakaway, and Messier just blatantly trips Bill Garrett. <laughs> like, world's <laughs> most blatant trip, where I understand that it happened at center ice, and you shouldn't call a penalty shot at something that happens on center ice. But in my mind, I was like, oh, that should probably be a penalty shot. And the refs not only didn't call a penalty shot, they didn't call anything. They're like, well, he fell. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Do what you have to do. Well, they was, did. I just, I remember if I was a devil fan and that happened to Bill Guerin, I would have been just apoplectic. I, I, I have, been I have a couple rocker. feelings here. If you're a devil's fan, I think you have the right to complain about this series a little bit, like just a little. So far, I don't know. They win. You win game one. So like, I understand these calls didn't go your way, and it but they didn't that, matter. In game two, you had no right in, winning in, at all. Period. Who the Devils? Yeah, no. I'm saying like they. You win game one, and then if you're the Devils, you have no. You can't complain about game two. You get destroyed. Right, but I think the Devils were the rightful winner in game one, which is crazy to say. They were. Like I, they really were. I I I think the Rangers couldn't put it away. No, and. The, I, a couple things stood out, but before I get into the third period, because I think we should focus on it, I just want to point out the the hilarity of um, Scott. They're, they're, they're highlighting Scott Stevens in the first period, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Yeah, he's going to be a free agent after the year. He might get anywhere between two and a half to three and a half million dollars as one of the best defensemen 
in the NHL, and I'm just sitting there like, Jesus Christ. Uh, I understand this is 26 years ago, but to, imagine imagine thinking $3.5 million is the high end for one of the five best defensemen in the NHL. What does that get you now? Uh, Nick Holden. Yeah, I was about to say Nick Holden. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't even get you Brendan Smith. It's it's That's too true. cheap for Brendan Smith. That's true. Uh, but the third, so the third period is going in typical Ranger fashion, even well, after the Larmer goal, it makes perfect sense. The Rangers just went eight and a half minutes without registering a shot on no net shots at all while they were winning. Yep. So I'm, I'm sitting there and we bitch all the time and complain all the time about how the Rangers used to leave Henrik out to dry and would turtle in the postseason. I just think this is the, what the New York Rangers do now. It's in there. It's I think in it's that blood. simple. Yeah. Cause Richter's out there getting pummeled, just beat up. And he's, he's keeping him in the game for as long as he can. And unfortunately, when there's 40 seconds left or 43 seconds left is when it all breaks down because Lemieux and McLean and uh, Bernie Nichols, like they all just storm the net. It, it's like a total zoo right in front of the net. And it just kind of the puck keeps getting hit around until it goes in. And like, like Richter doesn't even know it really goes in for like other, like a split second afterwards. There's too many, there's too much traffic and they can't get it cleared. And that's just... It's just typical Rangers fashion. It reminds me of um, I remember this Pittsburgh. This is really random, like a Pittsburgh Penguin game from like 2016, like where the Rangers were turtling for like nine minutes when they had the lead, and then all of a sudden, six men were on the ice for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and with like five seconds left, they scored. I was like, this is very similar to that where they just turtled. They've done it a thousand times. I've seen this game before. I can't believe this is how they lose game one. Because honestly, yeah, because... Gregory, if if they win this game, and I know this is all revisionist history at this point, and that's what we're doing. Like, I could see them winning this series like four one really easily. Yeah, and I think it's important for us to point out that it's not just that the Rangers didn't register a shot for eight and a half minutes or so. It's that they didn't even have a like an offensive threat no, during nothing. that time. There wasn't there wasn't a time during that period where I felt like the Rangers were controlling play. And they just, for some reason, weren't getting pucks through. Mm-hmm. They they were they were complacent, and they they sat back, and it eventually caught up to them because they didn't add to their own score. And to be fair, they clearly corrected some of their issues going into game two, and they never took the foot off the pedal in game two. But in in game one, it was just I don't I it, watching it, it was difficult. And another thing I did notice, and I don't know if I would have noticed it if they if Gary Thorne doesn't bring it up in game two, but. Gary Thorne, since this is about game one, I don't mind really talking about it. Gary Thorne brings up that he found it a little odd that Mike Keenan was rolling three defensive pairings in game two because he didn't do it in game one. He was using five defensemen. That's how much he was using Brian Leach. Jay Wells, who was the Rangers' sixth defenseman, basically, didn't really see a whole lot of the ice. And it 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 took... Gary Thorne bringing that up in game two for me to realize it in game one. It was basically, it was basically four guys on the ice at all times, Leach, Lowe, Zubov, and uh, uh, Bukaboom. And then every now and then Karpatsev would show up as well. But for the most part, I I guess I I hadn't realized it. it. He really was trying to roll two defensive pairings. And that's something you would just never Ever see today. Never. You would never see that today. Like maybe your third pairing gets obviously a lower number of lower minute total when it comes to ice time. But your third pairing is still going to play somewhere in like the 13, 14 minute range probably. Mm -hmm. In a double overtime game, it's definitely getting above 20 minutes. But yeah, Jay Wells just didn't play at all. And I can't for the life of me fathom a situation where an NHL team would try and win a playoff game with just two defensive pairings. Let's take a quick break. Okay, today's sponsor, Hawthorne. That's right. Hawthorne has me smelling good these days. It's really important. Hawthorne smells really, really good. I use their soap all the time. Actually, what I did was I went to their website and they asked me a few questions about my hygiene. I will not reveal those here. But Hawthorne.co, I went to their website, filled out a couple of five-minute survey. They sent me soap, cologne, lotion, all catered towards my likings. And that was it. It says here, though, in when I read about this, I should mention gifting for Father's Day, and I'm not sure what that is. It says, perfect gift for your dad. Huh. Uh, you can take a quiz for someone else. You can take a quiz for your dad. I, I don't know what that means, but if you know what that means, you can go to Hawthorne.co right now. Check out Hawthorne at Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E, .co, not .com, Hawthorne.co. And use my promo code BSB. To get 10% off your first purchase, that's Hawthorne.co and use 
my promo code BSP to get 10% off your first purchase in Hawthorne.co and get take the test for your dad, whatever that is, and figure it out. Anyway, back to the show. So we get to overtime, and it's pretty much a giant back and forth the entire time. And they're, both teams, in my opinion at least, have over 5 to 7 to 19 chances to score. So before before talking about overtime specifically, I also had takeaways just from seeing what the Rangers were doing. Okay. Uh, first of all, a penalty kill unit that includes Leach, Graves, and Messier should have been illegal. Yes. I don't understand. I don't understand how that's – that's not an advantage if you're the New Jersey Devils where if you have five guys on the ice and you're going up against a foursome that included Messier, Graves, and Leach – that's not a benefit for you. That's, and I think the other defenseman every day, Zubov was on the power play. I think Kevin Lowe was the main uh, defensive pairing for Leach. But like that, at no point did I feel like the Devils actually had an advantage on the ice when at least Messier, Graves, and Leach were killing the penalty. Um, and that, same goes for the power play. I don't give a shit who you are. I wanted to make fun of the Rangers for still using two defensemen and how we've graduated beyond that in this day and age right but honestly if the rangers had defensemen like zubov and leach i would be pissed off if they didn't use those two guys on their top zubov power play unit you led the team in points he had 77 assists are you kidding me that's insane He's, i so i went back i i went back and looked at two trades uh i'll talk about the zubov trade here i'll talk about the second trading game why do you save the topical. zubov trade for for next week no it needs to be talked about now okay. because zubov was so apparent in game one it's it's just going back and looking at the reasons why the Rangers traded Zubov. They first of all, their head coach was Colin Campbell after Mike Keenan left after the Cup, and for some reason, Campbell, the Smith and Campbell got angry that Zubov got wrist surgery, which is a ridiculous thing to get angry about with a player. Yeah. Zubov in the following season played thirty three games. Well, I think played 36 games, had 35 points. So the dude is still putting up points per game as a defenseman. Incredible shit, even for back then. And for Campbell's excuse for wanting to trade Zubov was that yeah. he was making risky plays and that he didn't play with enough grit and wasn't fitting Ooh, his style. That's a bad First of take. all, if you have a point-per-game defenseman, you let you figure out a style that suits him, right? And it's it's just... It just drives me insane looking back at the reasons. It's basically that Colin Campbell didn't like Sergei Zubov is what it comes down to. And he felt like the Rangers needed veteran experience, which is why they went out and got Ulf Samuelson and Luke Robitaille. Awful trade. And it, this game is just the reason why I'm angry about it. Because Zubov's, what, 23, I think, during this series? He's very clearly the perfect second banana to Brian Leach. The power play is just robust. I, I can't remember ever watching a power play unit in my lifetime as a New York Ranger fan and feel confident that they're going to score. Even last year when they had fucking Panarin and Zibanejad on the first power play. At no point did I ever feel truly confident. I I never felt truly confident that the Rangers would score. But watching that power play, the the Larmer power play goal, I think it was off the very first face-off of the power play opportunity. It was like a nine-second power play. And the Rangers just banged it in as if it was nothing. (laughs) It blows my mind. It's it's incredible to think, like, especially when you have, like, the, the, the mind for sports, or at least, like, the mind you're supposed to have for sports these days. You're like, okay, we could trade our 23-year-old um, point-leading defenseman who's, like, he's scoring a point per game. You think we should give him away because he's not gritty enough? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, what is he going to do? Develop yeah. more? <laughs> like, I don't, already, not only, not only does that trade, I just, it's just, like, the, the theory about the trade was they wanted to cash in on Messier's window. But I, I just don't understand how a 25-year-old point-per-game defenseman who very clearly succeeds working with Brian Leach and in that offense, like, how does he not fit the window? Because he's too young? He's 25. Yeah. He's he won his, a Stanley Cup with he's him. He's in his prime. He led your Stanley Cup winning team in at, points. At some point, you have to look at the coaching staff if he's not getting the out the same out of the players. I love that, that literally won you a Stanley Cup on the 1995 Rangers right now on a podcast in 2020. This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just it's just at some point, like it's the it's, I, what's the, what was the difference between the 94 Rangers and the 95 Rangers? Wasn't the players? The they basically came back with the exact same roster. Yeah, but they weren't as good because they had a different coach. But it can't be the coach's fault. No way. 
Are you shitting me? Yeah. Yeah. This, the zoo. I, I, a lot of other Rangers fans, not us, mostly because we're, I don't know, you and I have always been pretty blind about the 94 team in hindsight. We try to live in the moment. But just about every Ranger fan we know gets angry about the Sergei Zuboff trade. I get it. And now. you and I kind of shrug our shoulders. Yeah. No, no, we get it now. I get it We've now. We've watched two games, 110% understand. <laughs> I get it now. And then literally reading the 1995 New York Times article that was talking about the trade. And even then, they're just like, yeah, you know, the coach hates him. Doesn't work in his system. Got to get rid of that kind of player. Ignores the fact that he literally, in 36 games, had a point per game. Even though he was playing in a system that clearly didn't also, work for him. And again, Still scoring led the team in points that won the Stanley Cup a year before. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> I think if I remember correctly, he finished fourth in the Norris voting in 1994 ahead of Leach. Jesus. So it's, I mean, first of all, Leach not getting a top three Norris in Come that year. Now. Come uh, on now. Weird. Probably should have been top three Norris every year he played. He was that good. But still, like, Zuboff got the credit not just because he scored a lot of points, because he was fucking good. And the Rangers, two years later, are like, well, you know, the new coach doesn't think get he's going to work. Get out of here. So let's, let's get this big, tough guy who's known for hitting people. And, like, the the article's only mention of Ulf Samuelson is how apparently Ulf Samuelson hit Cam Neely so hard twice that he almost ended Cam Neely's career. Cool. And that was Ulf Samuelson. Yeah, that does a lot for me, except it doesn't yeah. at all. It does nothing. Um, so the Zuboff trade, we get it, guys. Yes. We, we understand. It's it's – I drew, I understand now. And I – and the last thing on Zubov, at least for now, I don't understand how, like, you know, you mentioned, like, at least with the Yankees, like, they have the core four, you know, you talk about those guys, and the, the Rangers have their core four, which is Messier, Leach, Graves, and Richter, right? Like, I feel like Zubov should be in that. I really do. Like, he, I know yeah, he, The problem is they traded him away. I know. They didn't trade away the other guys. I know. Well, eventually they do. Um, right, but, like, it's, let me, I guess to your point, it's weird that when we go back and think about the 94 team, it's almost immediately Richter, Messier, Graves, and Leach in and, some order, right? Yeah, and Those then that's four. really it. But it, Yeah, it, it would be, I guess, well, in a way, I guess it's like thinking about those Yankees World Series teams. That's what I was saying, yeah. How they're, the, but, they're, but immediately you mentioned Jeter, Pettit, Posada, Bernie, yep. and Moe, right? Mm-hmm. Or I guess Bernie's not in the core four, so yep. Jeter, Pettit, Posada, and Moe. But... That would be like us not also mentioning the fact that Roger Clemens was on those teams, right? So I, I in a, in a way, it, at least one. Of I them, guess yeah. it kind of makes sense. David well, Cole, was on there for David two. Wells. Yeah, no, Clemens was there for at least two because he was there in '99 and 2000. Oh, that's true. You're right. I I, I don't know if '98 '98 was he his last was season not, with the Blue Jays. He definitely wasn't there in '98. I can confirm. Yeah, that. but I, I I I'm pretty sure Clemens was there for '99 and 2000. I'll check. I think it was only 2000. Um, I'm going to check. I'll check right now. You talk about overtime and I'll tell you. If- All right. So overtime go- happens here. And as a Ranger fan, you go into this being like, I can't believe we let up a goal with 40 seconds left. And then the overtime for both teams just play out of their mind. Like there's a lot of back and forth. Like I said it before, there's like uh, seven to 19 chances for each team. And again, there's offsetting penalties. Five, almost five uh, Rod- minutes. Roger the- Clemens was a Yankee in 1999. He was. Okay. All right. My bad. He was, he was bad by the way. Maybe that's why I don't remember. Um, yeah. I guess he stopped taking the juice after well, those two uh, he started Toronto again, years. So, 2000. Um, yeah, so I just... He started again in 2001. Oh, is that it? All right. Well. Yeah. Anyway, fun times. What are you going to do? Well, yeah, nothing. nothing. <laughs> They're gonna, they, they brought him to court for some reason. I don't know. Uh, overtime happens. Rangers end up losing in the second, second OT, uh, about 15 minutes into the period. Brutal lost... Lost like MSG is dead silent. Like the as loud as it's ever I've ever heard it. Really, pretty much at the beginning of the game and at the end, silent. Totally. Well, like the wind is taken out of this. Uh, well, that's also kind of the funny part about watching these again, twenty six years after the fact. And not only do we know not know what time it is. Um, well, they say it with how much time's left in the game, oh, okay. but we don't know what time of the day it is. They say it's until midnight. one of the announcers mentions like, "Oh, it's midnight." Yeah. Like they very casually, they're like, "We'll talk to with Jim Rome's going to be delayed," and I'm like, "Well, I have no idea." <laughs> I'm glad we both that thought that at the same time. They're like, I, yeah. was like, "I was like, I have no idea what fucking show that is," so I still don't know what time of the day is because it's it's not uncommon for a hockey game in the for the playoffs to start at four o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, they don't mention that it's. 
oh, by the way, it's midnight until we're like 10 minutes into the second and, overtime. And in the second overtime, you could see some of the stands is like, are like empty. Like a little of And other people are literally asleep, probably because they've drank themselves into a coma. And oh, by the way, it's midnight. Yes. Like it's, it's, I, they started to make mention of it after the first overtime. Like, wow, the seats are kind of empty. And I was like, huh, that's weird, especially for New York sport fans. And then they're like, oh, by the way, it's Sunday and it's 12.03 a.m. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. So people are getting up. People have to go home because they still have jobs. I get it now. This makes more sense. So let's do game two. A devastating loss in game one. I would have set myself on fire and thrown myself into a ditch. I think we would have came on this podcast and had maybe one of the most all-time rants for both of us uh, of all, like on this podcast history. It was. Totally I don't know. I think, I think you would have ended up doing a solo podcast because I would have been so tired, drunk, and pissed off. I was like, I'm not fucking talking to you right now. Are you fucking crazy? I, I believe you, by the way. I believe you in that. But game two is actually a much quicker review here because – the Rangers come out of the gates hot. They kick their ass. But this game isn't isn't a blowout in the way that you think. So Mark Messier scores right away. One minute and 13 seconds into the game, Mark Messier puts a goal in. Cool. Mark, it's the seventh goal of the playoffs, by the way. Mark Messier is, is insane. He's insane. But then it's a one-goal lead all the way up to the third period. And this game is weird and kind of chippy. And one of the reasons that is is because the announcers mentioned that it's so goddamn hot outside that they have to close all the doors and that some of the blades of the New York Rangers uh, skates are actually like melting or in like welding a different way because they like hit the concrete under the ice. And at one point, the announcer goes, yeah, this favors the New Jersey Devils. And I was like, what? <laughs> How does this favor the Devils? Because they're like, they're still bigger and lighter. I don't understand because they're quote unquote younger. I, I, I really was kind of confused by that. But this game in general was a total absolute domination by the Rangers and capped off by Adam Graves uh, from Brian Leach and Mark Messier to really end the game on the power play. Yeah. It was one of those games where it didn't feel like it was only a one, nothing lead going into the third period Mm -hmm. because at, at no point there was one, there was one sequence where the Rangers literally got trapped in their own zone. And it's kind of incredible that the devils didn't score Yes, because they did. The one thing I noticed in game two is that when a team gets gassed in 1994, they're literally dead. Whereas when a team gets gassed and starts skating with heavy legs in 2019, 2020, they're still looking competitive. They're just moving slower. But when the when the Devils have this, what felt like three minute... And, and they're rotating um, single men too during this time. So they're yeah, always so getting the, fresh legs. But it, it literally looked like the Rangers... When I say stop skating... Some people think I'm over-exaggerating. The Rangers stop skating. One player is just lying on the on the ice <laughs> in prone position. Uh, the Craig McTavish is stuck on the ice this entire time, and he thinks he clears the puck once. Ken Danico stops it, and McTavish, you can just tell, like, instead of trying to skate to the bench after that, just puts his stick on his knees and reluctantly turns around but doesn't really move. Um, it was really, like... It got to a point where Richter is coming out of the crease to try and jump on the puck mm-hmm. that is in like the faceoff circle. Uh, he's literally Richter's literally doing everything he possibly can to get this Monster. shift to stop, and it's it was just really funny to watch in hindsight. But outside of that, I never felt like the Devils were in the game. The Rangers were out skating them. They they decided the Rangers were just going to hit everything that moved multiple times. Didn't matter where or when. Uh, the Rangers just played with more life. And I think, I don't know if it just felt that way because Gary Thorne is on the call in game two and Gary Thorne is a little bit more enthusiastic than whoever was on the call in game one. It sounded like Sean McDonough, but it wasn't Sean McDonough. It I did. don't know who called game one. It, uh, it sounded a little bit like Joe McLeddy too. In game two, no, it was Bill Clemento. Okay. I know I know it wasn't, um, but it did sound like him. Yeah, I thought it. Well, I thought it was, and then later on in the first period, Gary Thorne's like Gary Thorne, Bill Clement, and Al Morganti here bringing you again. I was like, oh, that's not Joe Micheletti. Yeah, oh, it was Joe Micheletti. Sounds just um, like him. Really does. It's pretty incredible. Uh, but yeah, no, the Rangers, the Rangers outplayed them from hey, start to finish. The only game. real we notable, never felt like- the only really notable things from this game because there's not a lot to cover here is that. Um, Obviously, they they dominate, come out the third period and score three goals in seven minutes, something like that. And then the Devils decide that they want to make it a fist fight. And there's a bunch of brawling. Uh, Claude Claude Lemieux tries to fight Adam Graves 
so like just goes at him the he's like actually like almost punching the ref and the ref gives him a 10 minutes minute misconduct to get him out of the game or whatever but the ref is like getting attacked as he's trying to go at Adam Graves What's so weird to me is I can't imagine anybody on earth attacking Adam Graves, and yet everybody wants to kill him in this series. He's the nicest dude ever, and all of a sudden, I, I, can't, even, I can't even imagine Adam Graves talking shit. I really can't. I know that sounds crazy. I'm sure he did. I'm positive he did, but I can't. He just seems like a stoic guy, and Claude Lemieux just going at him, wanting to take his head off at, at the end of this game where he gets a misconduct uh, is, is just such a strange... A strange book. They don't even show a lot of it. They they cut off to a commercial and it goes away. And that's it. Yeah. It. Well, th- this game also um, has one of the the only five on three in the first two games, yeah. and it was again just hilarious to watch. Esatikinen takes a bad penalty to put the Devils on a five on three for about a minute and twenty seconds. But again, the Rangers on the penalty kill decide to roll out Messier, Larmer, and Leach, and I honestly. In that minute, 15 seconds pan, I don't know how that was an advantage for the Devils. They never they never seemingly controlled the puck. The best opportunity came when Mark Messier cleared the puck himself and almost had a goal-scoring opportunity. It was just like Messier and Leach on the penalty kill feels like a cheat code. Like the, they're, they're, they're too fucking good to be on a penalty kill. Like if you truly want to be on a man advantage against the New York Rangers in 1994, there would have had to have been an NHL rule that prohibited Messier and Leach from being on the ice at the same time because it, they, they were just otherworldly. Like I've never in my life felt more confident when a team was on a, a defending a five on three penalty that not only would the team with the two man advantage, not score, but just not have a clean goal scoring opportunity than I did in that minute and 20 seconds. I was like, this is unfair. This is cheap. And then when Leach came off the ice, Zuboff came on the ice. And I was like, are you shitting me? <laughs> what is this? All of a sudden, it makes sense that the New York Rangers won the Stanley Cup in 1994. It makes sense. I, I know it's it feels like a fluke, but it makes sense. Um, I um, guess my final... So, oh, you got more? Well, I was just going to go. So the goal scorers in this game, Messier in the first period. Yep. And then the in. trio of Ser- Sergei Nemchinov, Glenn Anderson, and Adam Graves in the third. And I want to talk about Glenn Anderson. That's a because it, br- it brought in... When Gary Thorne was like, well, this is the reason why the New York Rangers traded Actually, when he scores, deadline. he goes, there he is. I found him. Yeah, an amazing Gary Thorne call because Glenn Anderson hadn't scored in the playoffs up to that point, and he played like shit for the Rangers in like the last 12 games of the season. So again, I, Greg, your research over here, I wanted to see what the hell the Rangers thought they were getting with Glenn Anderson, who was, I think, 36 this season, a soon-to-be unrestricted free agent. What the hell was going on? Uh, and you look at the trade, it's Glenn Anderson basically for Mike Gartner straight up. Mike Gartner, who, by the way, had multiple 40-goal seasons under his belt with the Rangers and was on a, a normal goal-scoring pace for him in the 1994 season. But for some reason, again, Mike Keenan didn't like Mike Gartner. It's not fully explained why. I, the, the article I found tried to explain it as Keenan didn't like that Gartner played with so much speed. He wanted someone <laughs> a little bit. He wanted someone that was a little heavier Can you imagine? And, a, and would be able to throw checks around. So imagine? the reasoning that Mike Keenan didn't like Mike Gartner is because he was fast. That's basically what my research uncovered. He's too fast. And then the second reasoning I found, Ryan, which was maybe my favorite reasoning, is uh, the person writing the article was like, well, Mike Gartner is this overly accomplished regular season performer, but he seems to struggle in the playoffs. Here is this guy who scores 40 goals a season but he's only scored 30 goals in his first 81 games in the playoffs. And I'm sitting there reading that sentence like, is this motherfucker complaining because Mike Gartner is playing at a 30-goal pace as opposed to a 40-goal pace in the playoffs? Like, what What about 30 goals in 81 games am I supposed to look at and be like, no, that's not good enough. It's not good. Need to, need to do better. Chris Carter's so then, done that like twice. Yeah. <laughs> so so. <laughs> So not only, Ryan, would we have lost our mind that the Rangers just decided to move on to Mike Gartner. The thing that makes it worse is I have to look up what the fuck Glenn Anderson is that he brings to the table for the Rangers. Well, you want to know what he brings to the table? Yeah, he, he had an incredible, like, I don't know, 20s and early 30s, but this year he did not. No, because well, he's 36. Yes. But, but he's a five-time Stanley Cup champion. That's leadership. That's it. it. That, that's it. He's... 
Mike Keenan wanted someone that had quote been there before. They actually that's what he was. They actually said on the call like. Well, they haven't needed Glenn Anderson because they've been performing so well, but it's nice that they're she's showing up now. It's like what? Well, it's just it, it's it's one of those things where you look back and you're just sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, like, there's no way any reasonable human being could look at the New York Rangers before and after the trade deadline and say that they're better without Mike Gartner and with Glenn Anderson. Like it it doesn't make any sense. We would have been Losing our collective, like if we had a podcast in yes. 1994, yeah. or if we Mike, were Mike and the Mad, Mike Dog, and the Mad Dog, who actually way. talked about hockey, yeah. we would be Nobody sitting there on the trade deadline day, and I think, I don't think I'd be able to say anything beyond what the fuck is Neil Smith doing. Right. Like, it it doesn't make any sense. It Yes, it works out for the Rangers, because again, they don't need Glenn Anderson when you have Mark Messier, you have Adam Graves, <laughs> you have two defensemen in Sergei Zubov and Brian Leach that might as well be uh, wingers. You have Alex, uh, Alex Kovalev, we, 21 years old. Who we haven't mentioned young, dumb, much yet, and he's incredible. Yeah. Young, young, dumb, full of cum, Alex Kovalev. Uh, <laughs> you, have, you have fucking helmetless Craig McTavish getting more minutes than Glenn Anderson. You have Steve Larmer. Like, Glenn Anderson was the Rangers' 13th skater, basically. But for some reason, they, they couldn't use Mike Gartner because he was fast. It, it just... I got... There was a level of angry I got today when I was reading this article. Like, you... Cannot these words cannot be happening on my computer screen? This can't be happening. So give me your uh, your player of the game for game one and two. For the Rangers, yeah. In or, game or, one, or it's Brian. It, Brian, it, it it could even be game one in general. You know, it doesn't have no to be game. Either. Game one's Brian Leach. Dude plays forty seven minutes. Has what just all over the ice is the most notice, noticeable Ranger to assist. And is just crushing too, man. Yeah, I, but game two, I honestly would give it to Richter. He made a couple. Yeah, there's a safe he makes so. on Bill Guerin, who got around Brian Leach on a breakaway. That I was, first of all, a little embarrassed that Bill Guerin couldn't put it literally anywhere else. But it, it credit to Mike Richter for getting the stop on him. Like it should have been a goal, and it would have tied the game, I believe, at the time. So Richter, does, I, it, it's hard not to give it to anyone. Richter doesn't Richter face a two. doesn't face a hard load in game two, like comparatively to Martin Brodor, Martin Brodor, who saved uh, has forty saves against that game. Or you, you know, it's Martin, right? Why did I say Martin? That's weird. Because um, it's spelled Martin. I don't know why. It's I did that. Martin Brodor. Yeah, the the Devils only had sixteen shots. Right, but it, so it's but it was a time that was crucial, and I agree with you. Um, yeah, it, but it's just like the. The entire Rangers, like every Ranger skater, played well. Right. I wouldn't know how to give it to just one skater. Yeah, you can like, you can you can make an argument for Leach again, but yeah, but even Leach, like no skater in my mind stood out in comparison to the other. Like, was Mark Messier's game significantly better than Adam Graves? No, not exactly. Not I don't game. think Leach and Zubov were like. Everyone played well. It's. It, I'm not saying no one. There literally wasn't. A, the Rangers played so well that Glenn Anderson scored. Like that's how well the New York Rangers played. You know what my favorite part about this is? As we end this podcast, it's um, we've gone now almost 50 minutes, and we haven't said the name Mateau one time. So those and that will come, and that will come. But it's funny because Mateau gets the first Rangers shot on goal in Game One, uh-huh. and it was a wraparound opportunity. Uh, so it, it was just. It's funny understanding that like the bookend of the series is basically Stefan Matteau, but he doesn't score on the first attempt. Uh, I notice him because you hear his name called out. He's not very like whatever the Rangers fourth line, whoever Glenn Anderson is playing with essentially is pretty unnoticeable throughout this entire series. So you hear Matteau's name a couple times, but he's not really doing anything like it's, it's interesting. So it's, It'll be fun to watch as the series goes along. But, yeah, M- Mateau was fairly invisible the first two games. He gets a couple call-outs, but he doesn't really do much else. Fun times. All right, well, this has been uh, the first two games. I had a great time doing this. We're going to do this for seven more weeks. Um, I think the Vancouver series in the middle of it will be a little weird, but I'm excited to get down with it. And, uh, you know, we've reached out to some people. Maybe they want to come on, be people that are on the team. Who knows? <laughs> All right. We'll be back next week. You can follow me at O'Reilly Media. You can follow Greg at Blue Shirts Break. We'll be back. Love you guys. Bye.